The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Stocks reversing earlier losses this afternoon, getting a big boost during Fed Chair Powell's speech where he signaled smaller rate hikes ahead. This is the make or break hour for your money. Welcome everyone to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen, coming to you live today from CNBC's CFO Council Summit in Washington, D.C. Take a look at where we stand right now in the market. Quite a rally up more than 400 points on the Dow. The S&P 500 up 2%. The Nasdaq comp is zooming. It's up 3%. Some of the hardest hit parts of the market all year long, like technology, are leading right now. You've got the ARK Innovation Fund, for instance, which has sort of been a poster child for this bear market. It's up 5% right now. Take a look at the action in the 10-year yield following Fed Chair Powell's speech, and you can really see the turnaround cross assets where yields move lower, buying of bonds on that signal of lower interest rate hikes ahead after we started the day with higher yields and stocks under pressure. Coming up on the show this hour, businessman and investor Glenn Hutchins, who introduced Chair Powell at today's speech at the Brookings Institution, will get his biggest takeaways from those remarks. Plus, the chief financial officer of Chevron is here at CNBC CFO Council Summit. He's going to join us with the outlook for oil prices with that stock up a whopping 50% on the year. Let's start with the market dashboard, though. As always, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down these moves. Was this just about positioning, Mike? Because if you listen to what the Fed chair said, it wasn't wasn't anything groundbreaking. I guess he talked about smaller hikes for December really explicitly for the first time, but then said there's a lot more work to do on inflation. Yeah, Sarah, there's no doubt that the market was pretty clenched up going into these remarks. And I agree with you. The overall message was very consistent with what he said on November 2nd after the last Fed meeting. But I think he declined to take the opportunity to up the ante that much more and to appear that much more hawkish as the market has actually appreciated since then, as financial conditions has, have eased. So I think that there was essentially a, a blow that didn't come, and the market is reacting to that. Now, where does it take us? Interestingly, right back to last Friday's high. So we had this two days where the market backed off, and we've been in what you know we've been talking about as this sort of slow kind of sideways chopping phase since we got uh, that pop a couple of weeks ago. And it hasn't really jeopardized the uptrend. It, it sort of kept that uh, CPI-related rally intact. Uh, and so it's more or less been a wait and see. And now, the market doesn't always wait and see for a specific catalyst, but this time it definitely did. Like I said, up to about 40, uh, 40 or so, 40 30s in that area. That is where we topped out for this move. So it's coming in an interesting spot because this is a line that how many times am I going to draw this one, right? That's the downtrend line for the entire year, and we're right there. So you could overshoot that and see uh, if it uh, actually holds from this point on. You got some positive seasonal factors. Now, a lot of talk with Powell about the job market, specifically the job openings factor. Uh, he's been looking at job openings and the possibility that the tightening campaign can bring openings down and maybe not cause a big jump in employment. This is part of today's jolts report. Now, that's the job openings labor turnover survey. And this is the quit rate, the percentage uh, of all people in the labor force, essentially all people employed that quit 
last month. It's down to about 2.6%. As you can see, it's off sharply, but still well above pre-pandemic levels. So it still shows you a very tight and healthy labor market going in the right direction. This is the balance that uh, he faces right now, where things are softening up, but still showing relative strength out there. Uh, and this is a cleaner number, perhaps, than overall job openings, which are just easy for companies to keep openings just listed out there on the market, Sarah. Well, right, Mike, talk about the mixed signals on the economy. Look at the, the batch of data that we got today. So we got weaker Chicago manufacturing, PMI, weaker ADP jobs, especially in manufacturing where we lost 100,000 jobs. And yet the GDP revised higher, both business and consumer spending for the third quarter. And that fourth quarter GDP tracker continues to trend up. So it really, it really is a mixed picture. It's very mixed, Sarah, but also somewhat consistent with the goods part of the economy cooling off significantly from an overheated state. And that's the, where manufacturing employment comes in and all the rest. Yet the overall economy, you know, travel, services and incomes have remained pretty strong. So that's the, the nuance you have to have in trying to analyze where we go from here. Yep. Set to end higher for a second month in a row. First time we've uh, seen that all year long. Mike Santoli, stay close. Thank you. So here are the words from the Fed chair, Fed chair Powell, that brought the stock market into this late day rally. Listen. Monetary policy affects the economy and inflation with uncertain lags <clears throat> and the full effects of our rapid tightening so far are yet to be felt. Thus, it makes sense to moderate the pace of our rate increases as we approach the level of restraint that will be sufficient to bring inflation down. The time for moderating the pace of rate increases may come as soon as the December meeting. Bam. Joining us now is North Island Chairman Silver Lake co-founder, AT&T board member Glenn Hutchins, who introduced Chair Powell at the Brookings Institution today. Glenn, clearly the market likes the sound of moderation when it comes to interest rate hikes. What, what was your impression of Powell today? Hello, Sarah. Um, so I would say a couple of Hello. things. One is um, it was really happy. We were really happy to have um, Chairman Powell at Brookings, when we set up the Hutchins Center here on fiscal and monetary policy, this was precisely the role we had hoped it would play. Uh, and um, also speaking as co-chair of Brookings, it was a very uh, good day for Brookings to have the chair here. Um, to answer your question, I think Mike Santoli got it largely, not entirely right, but I would say in addition to the moderation point, Jay also made a duration point, uh, which is the moderation point people are focused on, seems to have the market rallying, um, doesn't seem any reason to to doubt a 50 basis point increase in, in, De in December, but then kind of moderating the pace after that. But he did also say that it might have to stay higher at that, those kind of levels for longer uh, in order to get inflation down. And I think um, uh, Mike's analysis of the heart of Jay's speech, which focused on um, the labor markets, was, is really important. Another important takeaway from this. Jay emphasized that the supply of labor is not something the Fed has tools to deal with except very indirectly through constricting demand, which constricts um, supply of labor or demand for labor. Uh, he talked about how mm -hmm. high the, uh, the job openings number is and how low the, the, labor, the um, size of the labor force is, and how the labor force participation rate hasn't increased. So it's very clearly the place where the Fed is looking to, to find a path to moderating inflation. And the part that they find the most stubborn is in the labor markets. Right. Um, uh, well, though, so I that, think that was, that was an important part of the message. The other yeah. thing which I, I thought was interesting was that he um, focused on, uh, he did say that he thought we could get, quote unquote, a soft-ish landing. Uh, my operating assumption, which I've offered you on, uh, your, uh, on CNBC before, is 
I think we have to expect some degree of a recession. Markets seem to be expecting a recession. The uh, yield curve suggests a recession. But he had some degree of optimism that, he, that they could manage this by, managing job, by getting job openings down without uh, unemployment spiking into a place that was uh, softish, which might, which she defined, I think, as not a severe recession. That was an, a note of optimism, too, I think, that people might have missed. But, Glenn, the, the whole issue with the labor market and how they don't have control over labor supply and these, these inflation numbers can continue to run hot, doesn't it present a big risk to you as an investor that they're going to overdo it? Well, that's exactly the, uh, the concern. Not that he, they were overdue it. The other thing I thought was interesting is in this, well, that's the moderation point, which is he did say that um, Fed policy works with lags, uncertain lags. And part of moderating uh, increases from here is to see what effect these rates have on the economy. So this was very much a speech that was about not uh, overdoing it. He also said um, at the end that he was skeptical about models uh, and that he was they were more he and his colleagues were more trying to feel their way to the um, to the right to the outcome they're seeking. So mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to let, uh, you know, the pure mathematical analytics drive them, which I thought was a very good message as well. So it felt like they were trying to find their way to a moderated uh, soft ish, to use his word, landing outcome and had that very much on their mind. So I think it was very positive. So when, when do you think they're going to pause? I think what he, what he, I don't, I, all I know is what he said. And what he said was, you know, as, uh, as soon as December. <laughs> well, no, moderate, moderate, make a smaller interest rate hikes. But I'm wondering when, yeah. they, when they'll have to stop altogether because either there's too much damage to the economy or inflation has come down substantially. Well, I think the, I think the, it sounded to me, again, I'm not an uh, 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 yeah. uh, expert Fed watcher here, but it sounded to me like, he was saying that the December increase would one they would sit with for a while as they watched what the effect was on the economy and that he was signaling that the main what? thing they were worried about were labor markets. What's your which sense is, uh, on half their on, mandate? Yeah. No, right? absolutely. And it's a good point. And they're and they're getting hammered by increasing an increasing amount of Democrats on that part of their mandate uh, for not for, for basically destroying what is a very help, healthy jobs market. So what's your sense on, on well, underlying the way, economy? No you said you're expecting a recession? You know, so uh, yeah. as I've said on, on uh, CNBC before, by the way, there's no evidence as yet they've destroyed a healthy economy. Unemployment, I think, is at 3.7 percent. There are 4 million fewer people in the labor force. There's a huge than we might need. There's a huge amount of job openings. There's no sense that this economy, quote unquote, has been destroyed yet, by the way. Um, but I've said the housing an, market uh, is, been, is getting destroyed a little market, bit here. Pending the, home sales the, yeah. down 37 percent from well, last year. Yeah, that was the point. But they're up 10, 10 but uh, up 10.6 percent over the year, though, down in the last three months. Um, but no, that was one of the Fair. points that Mike Santoli was making, which was that um, uh, the goods, the inflation is coming out of the goods economy. And it seems to be happening in the interest rate sensitive areas, which you would expect, like housing. Uh, that's kind of, you know, part of what I think the markets expect. Uh, again, the question is, can we yeah. moderate uh, wage increases to, to get to a place where you can, you can actually begin to bring interest rates back down again? But I, I, as, as I've said before, right. my operating assumption for the last six months has been that we probably have to expect a, a mild recession of some duration as we get inflation out of the economy. Because the sources of, of inflation, like labor markets, but also like deglobalization and decarbonization, are ones that the Fed doesn't have uh, direct tools uh, to... Sure. Uh, to go after. And so the only thing they can do is reduce yeah. demand in a very, in a very um, sledgehammer kind of way. Uh, and so um, 
So it feels to me, so that's been my operating assumption, but on, on, that's not mm -hmm. a forecast. Uh, and on either side of that, there's scenarios, right. there's scenarios for, high, for worse times because rates spike and we, in, we enter into some sort of uh, more serious recession. He seemed to be mindful of that, so I doubt they're going to make that mistake. And there's another one which you get into what they call a soft-ish landing. Uh, and I just like the fact that they're focused on how they can accomplish that. Uh, as, uh, and that one of the paths they seem to be talking about today to get there was to moderate rate increases in the, sh in the near term uh, and then watch the economy in the short term to make sure they don't overdo it. Yeah, you're not alone. The market, li you like it, the market likes right. it. We're up 2.2% right now on the S&P yeah. off those comments. Glenn, what about your own business? I, I was very interested to ask you, as, as someone who just raised another fund for crypto, given everything going on, I don't think FTX is one of your investments, but, no. but whether, how, how damaged the ecosystem and your belief, frankly, is in everything that's happened. Well, so Jay got a question today. It's a very good question, Sarah. Thank you. Jay got a question today about what would innovation uh, in um, the startup economy and among uh, entrepreneurs in general help to moderate some of the effect of, uh, of um, labor. And he said, of course, that's one of the things that always happens in this economy. So I think we have to understand, that regardless of what happens with Fed policy or with uh, crypto collapse, that there still continues to be a lot of innovation. I think one of the important areas for innovation is in crypto. It's not the only one, but it's one of them. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of talk in the monetary policy world today about the late 70s, early 80s, when um, it was the last time the Fed was really increasing rates to take inflation out of the economy. Uh, and during that time period, as I pointed out, uh, Apple and uh, Microsoft were both founded. So if you stopped investing in innovation, then you would have made, you would have missed two of the great investments of all time. Similarly, 1999-2000, the time period when the dot-coms collapsed, perhaps not unlike today where the, the crypto uh, companies have collapsed. Uh, Apple, I'm sorry, Amazon, Google, and Netflix were just getting started. Uh, a whole range of companies from Meta, Facebook, to uh, Uber hadn't even been founded yet. So there continues to be, during these periods of market collapse and um, economic um, volatility, an entrepreneurial economy that continues to invest, uh, continues to build companies, continues to uh, create new products and services, and I continue to invest in those. So no, your, your faith hasn't been, shake, hasn't been shaken in crypto? My faith hasn't been shaken in crypto. My faith hasn't been shaken in uh, innovation. Okay. Glenn Hutchins, great to talk to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank after you. After that pal speech. Appreciate it. By the way, speaking of crypto, don't miss the interview that all of, has all of Wall Street buzzing. Sam Bankman-Fried will be joining my colleague Andrew Ross Sorkin at the DealBook Summit at 5 p.m. Eastern today. You can watch it on CNBC. Up next, Biogen and Japanese pharma, pharma company Asai are both moving higher today following the publication of those trial results for their Alzheimer's therapy. Up next, the U.S. CEO of Asai joins us to break down those results and address concerns about potential side effects. We are at session highs right now, 45 minutes till the close. The S&P 500 up 2.2%, led by communication services, technology, and consumer discretionary. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Check out shares of ASI and Biogen. They're both moving higher today on the back of New details released on the phase three trial of their experimental Alzheimer's drug. The results, which were published in the New England Journal of Medicine, showed a moderate slowdown in cognitive decline, but also serious side effects of brain bleeding and swelling for some patients. I spoke with ASI's U.S. CEO, Ivan Chung, back in September when the company announced high-level results of the study. Shares of the company are up more than 50% since then. Ivan is back with us again now. And Ivan, it's great to have you. Everyone was waiting for these these peer-reviewed data. Does it show anything materially different than what we got in September, which caused a lot of optimism? Thank you for having me again, Sarah. As uh, you mentioned, uh, the detailed data published in the New England Journal of Medicine, as well as the presentations yesterday at the Clinical Trial Alzheimer's Disease Congress here in San Francisco, showed all the additional analyses beyond what was presented in the top-line press release results in September, specifically the positive clinical efficacy data, the positive underlying biomarker results, the positive impact on delaying disease progression, the positive impact on health-related quality of life, and the positive impact on caregiver burden balanced with well-characterized and well-tolerated safety profile. That's what you see in the uh, publication and the presentation at the Medical Congress yesterday. Well, I I want to ask about the side effects, including the deaths, Ivan, because it does look like there were several deaths in the 18-month study, including two patients who did receive the the treatment. Were they drug-related? Thank you for the question. In the core study of this late-stage large phase three trial, over 18 months of treatment duration, we saw 13 deaths in total. However, seven of the deaths were in the placebo group six of the deaths were in the treatment group. That's the first fact. Second fact, we looked at what you mentioned, uh, the number of death cases with concurrent brain uh, cerebral macular hemorrhage. The rate of death was 0.1% with concurrent macular hemorrhage, both in the placebo group and in the lacanimab treatment group. That's a fact two. And the fact three, you mentioned uh, two cases. Both cases have complex conditions with multiple risk mm-hmm. factors, including the usage of uh, anticoagulants. As you heard from the uh, experts yesterday at the Medical Congress, it's indeed very difficult to attribute these deaths to mechanical treatment. I guess what I'm wondering, including some of the side effects that you mentioned, the, ble- the brain bleeding, will doctors ultimately do you worry, be reluctant to use this treatment, especially in, in patients that are on blood thinners, for instance, and more vulnerable to bleeding? 
Yeah, this was uh, one of the uh, important discussion yesterday at this medical congress. We actually showed that uh, for individuals on anticoagulants in this trial, they do benefit in terms of their cognition and function uh, in uh, uh, a very meaningful way in this clinical trial. So uh, this is going to be uh, important conversation between the family and uh, their physicians about the benefit risk of using lecanemab. We, of course, do believe the benefit risk profile of lecanemab exists and is acceptable in this population, but that comes down to each individual conversation. And shall the family uh, decide to move forward with uh, lecanemab treatment, assuming this is approved by the FDA going forward, uh, strong educational efforts and monitoring efforts uh, will be required, and we are committed to do that. Thank you. So you're, so you're clearly seeking approval, Ivan. Some of the, we talked to some of the analysts about this, and they were wondering about your relationship specifically right now with Biogen, who is, I think, believe sponsoring this, your partners on this. How tight is that, that relationship? Are you going to go to market together? Are you working on further studies? What are the next steps? And, and what would you tell investors who are wondering if that is sound? Uh, at this moment, uh, as you know, uh, Sarah, we are, uh, the candidate is under a review by uh, the FDA for accelerated approval with uh, action date on January 6th. Uh, once uh, we have that accelerated approval, within days, we'll immediately file for full traditional approval using this late stage uh, phase three trial data uh, uh, to uh, the FDA. We are very grateful for all the support from uh, Belgium. Uh, we um, have uh, a very strong shared goal uh, to serve uh, the Alzheimer's disease community and bring our mechanism to market for, for, for patients and families as soon as possible. In, in partnership with Biogen, that, that will continue, just to confirm. We are partners, as I mentioned, yes. Got it. Th thanks for clarifying. Ivan, appreciate it. We'll continue you, to keep an eye on this drug as you apply for approval here. Pre as we look at the markets here, 35 minutes left of trading. We continue to make new highs on the S&P 500 this hour, up of 2.5%. Netflix is your top gainer, up 9%. Estee Lauder, Hewlett-Packard. No shortage of winners. Every sector is higher. We are going to end the month of November very strong for the week, up about seven-tenths of one percent so far. Up next, Liz Young from SoFi joins us with her take on this post-Powell rally, why she says the market is still signaling a recession. We'll be right back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Stocks are surging. We're at session highs as we speak following Fed Chair Jay Powell's remarks this afternoon where he signaled smaller rate hikes as soon as the December meeting. Joining us now is SoFi's head of investment strategy, Liz Young. And Liz, you, you think we're still going to see new lows in this market. You're, you're not convinced. 
I don't know that we're going to see new lows. I think that we could see another low, and there's a couple reasons for that. And I, also, I want to preface this by saying that I don't think that this is something we should terribly fear. We still need to get to a point where the business cycle resets. The economy is out of balance, and Fed Chair Powell has pointed that out over and over again, and he's been clear about the fact that it's still out of balance. And they're not going to be comfortable until it gets back into balance. But a couple of reasons that I still think we're going to see another type of low, and remember, bottoming is a process. We're getting there, but we're not quite there yet, in my opinion, is that I don't think it's any coincidence that we started to hear commentary from Chair Powell today that he's mindful of the risks and that he's practicing risk management and yeah. looking ahead at where the risks might be right around the time when what's called the near-term forward spread inverted again. And that is what the Fed watches very closely as signs of recession. So we've been inverted at the twos tens for a while. We've been inverted at the three month tenure for a while. But that near term forward spread is really what the Fed looks at. And it did invert again, very, very small, but it's still inverted. And that's something that I think really changed uh, the way that they're managing risk. Yet again, I think it comes down to this this whole soft landing question and what you think is ahead for the economy, a, a deep recession or something more shallow and mild and, and what's being priced in. Because it appears that you know, the Fed is going to keep going until inflation comes down to much lower levels than, than we're at right now. So wh what do you think is already priced in on that front, Liz, and where do we go? Well, I think the rally today is very clearly a Fed rally. It's a it's a rally based on the idea that the Fed might end up being a little bit easier than we originally thought or easier than what our worst case scenario had been as market participants. But we can't have it both ways. We can't get an easier Fed with an economy that stays exactly as strong as it is right now. And I think that's what the market is today pricing in, is that the economy will stay as strong as it is today and that the Fed will be able to come off of this very hawkish stance. The only thing that's going to bring them off that hawkish stance is if demand does in fact relax to a point that inflation cools, if the job market also relaxes to a point that makes them more comfortable. If those two things happen, then the Fed slows down. But those two things will affect GDP growth. They will affect consumer spending. They will affect corporate earnings. So I still think that there's weakness to come both on the economic front and on the corporate earnings front. But what Jay Powell did today was basically reduce the risk that they would put us into a catastrophic recession. So he's acknowledging the fact that he doesn't want to do yeah. this. He's not going to hike rates with reckless abandon, right? So he reduced the risk that they were going to create a Fed-induced catastrophic recession. Yeah, sometimes just helps to, helps to hear him say it. Liz Young, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. For the strategy from SoFi, up 3.7% right now on the Nasdaq, more than 550 points on the Dow. Look at oil prices, they're also moving higher today, reversing weeks of losses as Wall Street eyes China demand and OPEC plans, WTI crossing back over 80. Up next, we'll talk to the CFO of Chevron here in Washington for our CNBC CFO Summit for his take on where prices are heading. We'll be right back. Oil prices bouncing back above $80 a barrel today. They had dipped into the low 70s earlier this week as traders grappled with global demand concerns after more COVID cases in China prompted wide-ranging lockdowns and some protests. Joining us now is the CFO of Chevron, Pierre Breber. Pierre is part of our CNBC CFO Council. He's with me in Washington today. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me, Sarah. And an up day 
for oil prices. I, I was prepared to talk about weaker prices and China, and Powell just talks about moderating interest rate hikes and soft landing, and the market goes higher. What, what do you see as the primary driver? Well, it's a volatile and uncertain time. Demand is strong for our products. The two big questions are, can the Fed engineer a soft landing? And as you said, will COVID restrictions in China continue? On the supply side, supply is tight. And the key question there is, will we see disruptions when the EU implements sanctions both in December on crude and February on future products? So we're really prepared for prices that are either higher or lower next year. What's happening on the demand side with these China lockdowns and protests? How much does that affect the equation given they're, what, the world's top consumer? Yeah, second largest economy. It, it certainly is weighing on the complex, and but it, we don't. We believe it'll it'll pass at some point in time, and so that's again one of the key questions: is how long those restrictions last. But again, if we look at the economic activity and will we have a slowdown in the depth of that slowdown, those are the two key uncertainties on the demand side. The supply side is pretty clear. Whether prices are higher or lower next year really depends on demand. Supply side is clear and still pretty tight. Right. Supply is tight. I mean, we're growing our supplies here in the country strongly. We are up 6% on oil and gas production. Our Permian's at record production, 700,000 barrels a day. It's going to a million barrels a day by 2025. Gulf of Mexico, deep water offshore, we're going to go up 50% by 2026. So we're certainly doing our part to grow uh, domestic supplies here. But as you know, it's a global market. You're also bringing oil from Venezuela, which is getting a lot of attention. There's a report today that that, that could be shipped from Venezuela into the U.S. as soon as December. Is that, is that true? It's a limited expansion in our activities. It just happened with a new license. Uh, yes, we expect to be able to bring um, crude to the U.S., which previously was not allowed to happen. We expect that there'll be modest increases in production over time, but it's really too early for me to give you specific guidance. We need to get our teams on the ground working, and then when we know more, we'll, we'll share more. But you use the word modest, so I think a lot of Americans are wondering if it's worth that risk of doing business there with the track record of the Venezuelan government. Well, Alma Hochstein of the uh, administration was on CNBC earlier today, and, and th those are his words. I mean, this is really U.S. government policy. We're just focused on safely delivering energy to a world that needs it, and we're following U.S. government um, very strict licenses that have expanded slightly now. Also wanted to talk to you about investors in the energy space. You're the top performing sector so far this year. This was a sector that was, I don't have to tell you, hated and trashed around ESG concerns, which way the world was moving. How, 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 much, how much confidence have you gained back from investors, which I know you're on the road talking to every day? We're winning investors back, but we got a long way to go. So energy is about 5% of the S&P 500 by market cap, but more than double that by earnings. So you can think of it as we're trading about half of the market multiple. So at Chevron, we talk about delivering higher returns and lower carbon. Our return on capital employed this year is over 20%. We're the country's second largest producer of bio-renewable diesel. Uh, we issued a methane report, shows that we're a leader in methane management. So I think we're doing a lot to convince investors that we can sustain higher returns in a lower carbon future. So what's the primary concern you get right now? Is it around environmental? Is it around recession? I think it's delivering quarter in, quarter out. We're a much better company than we were just a few years ago. So a lot of the attention from investors is driven by the commodity prices. I think while they'll look under the hood, they'll realize that we're much more efficient than we used to be, about 20% more efficient. So that means at any price, we generate more free cash flow. And more free cash flow means higher dividends and more sustainable buybacks for our shareholders. Yeah, which is also what gets you some political attention in Washington. Pierre, thank you so much for, for coming on. 
and being here at our CFO Council. That's Pierre Breber from Chevron. Take a look at where we stand right now in the markets. You've got lower yields, weaker dollar, and higher stocks, sharply higher, up 3.7% or so on the NASDAQ, 2.6% on the S&P 500, and 580 points higher on the Dow. We continue to build on these gains in this final hour. Coming up, rare comments from Amazon CEO Andy Jassy at today's DealBook conference. Here's what he had to say about sports rights earlier today. I think you'll continue to see us investing in sports. I mean, sports is such a unique asset. It's, it's, you know, if you look every year at the most watched programs, sports often occupies 75% of those spots. And, and you know, they, they drive live engagement and they drive prime subscriptions. So I think you'll you expect to see sports. Coming up, you'll hear his take on the macro environment and how consumer spending trends are impacting Amazon. Closing bow back in a moment. After the break, rare insight from three key leaders in corporate America. We'll tell you what, Amazon's Andy Jassy, Reed Hastings from Netflix, and Mark Zuckerberg from Meta said at today's DealBook conference, when we take you inside the market zone, up 570 points on the Dow and almost 4% higher on the NASDAQ. Be right back. Market Zone, CNBC Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day as always. Plus, we've got Steve Leisman here in D.C. with the big takeaways from Fed Chair Powell's speech and Julia Borston on comments from Netflix co-founder Reed Hastings. We'll kick it off with the broader market because Mike Santoli, quite a rally we've got here. Big move in bonds, buying, selling the dollar and the Nasdaq is now up almost 4%. We're going going out with a bang for November, up 5% for the month in the S&P. Yeah, clearly uh, people were well-hedged, tactical traders well-hedged going into Powell's speech today. It is the last day of the month, and there's a little bit of an upside test here. If you're bearish, this is when you have to really make a decision to say, uh, are we going to sell this rally or not? The S&P crossed above intraday, crossed above its 200-day average. It didn't do that back in August, and you're at a a two-and-a-half-month high when you have a still firm underlying economy at a time when maybe you can make the case uh, that the Fed is, uh, is downshifting. And so... Taken together, I think tactically people felt as if they had to grab at it because investors are somewhat underexposed uh, to stocks still, at least professional ones. Only two losers in the Dow are Walmart and 3M right now. Everybody else is higher. UNH adding almost 100 points on its own. Fed Chair Powell saying today that smaller interest rate increases could come much sooner than expected. Listen. If you're waiting for actual evidence that inflation is coming down, you know, you... It's very difficult not to over-tighten if, if, that's, if that's all you're doing. So we have a risk management uh, balance to strike, and we think that slowing down at this point is a good way to balance the risks. Well, the market took those comments as a positive after a rush of more hawkish Fed speak that we've heard in recent days. The Beige Book, we should note, also out this afternoon, showing out economic activity flat to slightly higher. Our Steve Leisman joining me here in D.C. for the CFO Council Summit to break it all down. And you and I were just trying to figure out whether he really said anything that different to spark so much enthusiasm in this Let market. Let the record show you were shrugging your shoulders. Did he say anything? I mean, I, I was kind of with you on that. Look, I've made some calls. Look, the market has moved 
seriously. You've got to take it seriously. I think what Mike said is how the market was positioned going in may have been a factor. It may be that what markets heard is this is it. This is as bad as it gets. When I look at what happened to the Fed funds market, we came in with a peak rate of 505. We now are trading at 493 for the peak rate. So you're down about 12 basis points. The idea that this 5%, four and three quarters, 5% is as bad as it gets. And then maybe the tops are put in. There's 494 right now. Maybe the tops have been put in on the two-year and the 10-year. What does that tell you? It tells you perhaps, and I'm sorry to have to hedge all this, that the worst restraint that's coming to the economy is already there. It's not going to get worse than what it is. I don't think the Fed is downshifting. I think they're taking the potential off a top or a higher rate. But it seems to me there are still two big questions. One, how much damage is that going to do to the economy? Excellent point. And we don't know because of the variable lags, of course. There's that. And for how long those rates need to stay restrictive or in that very high space because we don't know how fast inflation is going to come down. Both excellent points. I do think that I've heard to a lot of investors who say, you know what, just tell me what my bogey is here and I can start to make decisions underneath that. But if the bogey keeps changing with the volatility that we've seen, which is historic, 14 basis points higher one day, 14 lower the next day, I have no way how to figure that in. They can at least start to plan and start to figure out what the investment proposition or the thesis is here if they can get to that point. It does hinge on inflation coming down. It does. And let me point out, to make sure you don't walk away with the wrong impression from Powell saying, yeah, we're going to step down. But remember, he said, we still have a long way to go. You take it from that, there still may be another 100 basis points of tightening to come. The question is whether or not the two-year already anticipates that and will not go higher because it's already factored in the other 100 coming from the Federal Reserve. Just feels better coming in smaller doses, maybe. Yeah, we're going to get the same uh, the same Moderation, result. Good yeah. point. Steve, thank you. Pleasure. Steve Leisman here in Washington. Amazon CEO Andy Jassy warning of a more uncertain economy and seeing signs the consumer is growing cautious. He sat down with my colleague Andrew Ross Sorkin at DealBook Summit earlier today. Here's what he said. It's very clear that consumers, they're spending, but they're being careful about trying to stretch their dollars. So they, you know, we spent a lot of time having millions of deals available for Black Friday and Cyber Monday in the last, you know, the Turkey Five that people call it. And people care a lot about getting a bargain right now. Always important to to listen to what Amazon CEO is saying about the consumer, Mike. A little more caution there than the numbers they put out this morning around Thanksgiving shopping, which were very strong. They were pretty strong. I mean, we have to keep in mind the overall economy is growing, incomes are high, prices are up, uh, and so that accounts for some of the overall aggregate strength you've seen in consumer spending. And I do think also uh, he's echoing what a lot of big retailers are saying. Also, by the way, if we're in that kind of environment, in that comparison shopping type of world where they're looking for value and it's the scale players that are going to benefit, I mean, it serves Amazon as uh, as a retail player. What is interesting to me, though, is the stock Amazon has traded much more in line with the cloud software names. AWS seems like the main swing factor in the valuation for Amazon over the last few years, rather than like a retail stock specifically. So it's not necessarily the case that it's living and dying by exactly how strong the consumer is at any given moment. But interesting, Etsy, for instance, is the best performing consumer discretionary stock right now in the market, up 8.5%. Yeah. Tech, the tech rebound overall is, is notable. As I said, Netflix is the top performer right now in the S&P 500. We heard from Netflix co-CEO Reed Hastings talking advertising in the streaming space also at that DealBook conference earlier today and what he failed to realize while remaining ad-free. Here's what he said on that. 
What I failed to understand is that there's a lot of TV advertising that now couldn't find the viewers because the 18 to 49 segment had moved online. They were not watching linear TV. And so the advertisers are desperate for connected TV or internet TV solutions. So that's the real thing that I missed and that it, <clears throat> we didn't have to steal away the um, advertising revenue. In fact, it was pouring into connected TV if the inventory is there. Julia Borston covers the company. She joins me now. Julia, what, what else did you glean from Hastings' remarks, especially about that ad-focused future? Well, look, he praised Microsoft, which they picked as their partner in this ad business. I thought it was so interesting where he basically said Netflix was so successful and the rise of streaming was so successful that that was the reason why now they have to offer advertising because uh, brands are so desperate for it. He's also said something else interesting about the sequel to Knives Out, Glass Onion. It was in theaters this weekend. It was in a limited number of theaters this weekend, less than 650, and it did phenomenally well, a huge per screen average. And Andrew Drew asked him whether he thought they left money on the table, and he said yes, a lot. And I think there's this question of whether or not he's going to stay committed to this idea of really prioritizing growth of the streaming service or whether he might see opportunity in putting films like Glass Onion in theaters, in a lot of theaters, thousands of theaters for a lot longer and trying to figure out that theatrical window because right now Netflix really uses that theatrical window more as marketing. So he changed his mind on the advertising business. Sarah, we'll see yeah. if he'll change his mind on this one. Right. I was really hoping Andrew would ask him when Bridgerton is, is back, but didn't, no luck there. We also heard from Mark Zuckerberg at that comments. Julia, I was wondering what you thought about what he said when it seemed like he was backing away from the whole we are an only metaverse company push a little bit, saying clearly he spends more of his time on social media, something that, we, that investors should know, but was notable to hear from him and hear him say that. There was a clear message to investors in what Mark Zuckerberg was saying. He said he does believe in the metaverse. It's a 10-year plan, but he did say that the metaverse will improve dramatically. The functionality will improve dramatically in the next three to five years. But he also reminded investors, reminded the audience, that the vast majority of investment and where he's spending his time is on the social media business of, of Meta, which is Facebook and Instagram. Those are the real money-making, um, generating platforms. And he talked about how platforms such as WhatsApp are just really in the very early days of generating revenue. So there's so much potential there. So he tried to make it really clear that they are going to be disciplined and rigorous and not overspending. And they understand that right now their bread and butter is social media, but saying, you know, by the way, we'll have that, that metaverse play down the road. Julia Borston, Julia, thank you. Mike, you know who likes the sound of moderating interest rate hikes? Technology. Some of these big cap tech Winners today, Netflix up 9%, Alphabet, Meta, Match, Meta, uh, all, Meta is up, that's what I was looking for, 7.6%. Quite a rebound. The Nasdaq is now at the highs of the day, up more than 4% as we head into the close. Adding to gains for the month, which it looked like it was going to be, the Nasdaq was going to be down on the month before we came into today. Wondering how you read the comeback, whether, whether it's just, you know, positioning, whether there was something meaningful in, in what Powell said in this lower interest rate potential outlook that could make these companies longer-term buys than, than a one-day well, bounce? I, I think in terms of the outsized reaction to the growth names, it's really where things were beaten down the most. Yes, obviously, lower yields has meant by growth over value. So there's that effect, too. They're the big index names. There's a massive order of uh, 
to, uh, to buy at the close. Uh, market on close orders were very heavy at the end of the month. So the big index names are feeling that as well. So we'll see if there's follow through to this. This clearly uh, was a little bit of a whiplash effect as people backed off of risk for, for two days and kind of being forced to a degree back in. And uh, we'll see if it's any more than that tomorrow. Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Amazon all contributing the most to now 4.23% rally for the NASDAQ. What are you seeing in the internals now? Very strong, Sarah. There's a chance. You have to see how it closes, but there's a chance of a 90% upside volume day uh, on the NYSE. That's sometimes considered technical, technically significant. Look at the intraday of the U.S. dollar index. Just really fell apart after the Powell speech and Q&A. Clearly, people taking it as a net dovish message. Powell saying risk management means perhaps slower rate hikes as opposed to uh, larger ones to fight against inflation. The volatility index coming in hard as well, right down, scraping uh, that 20 level, 20 and a half right now. That's around the lower end of the range. Also near those August lows, that's when we had the last big bear market rally peak out as well, Sarah. Mike, thank you. As we head into the close, take a look at the Dow. It's up 650 points or so. So we just took another leg higher here as we go into the close. Again, as Mike said, almost 90 percent upside. It's hard to spot the loser. Walmart and 3M still down. Everything else is up. United Health, Microsoft and Home Depot are adding the most to the Dow rally right now. Look at the S&P 500. It is up uh, more than almost 3 percent right now, which just adds to the gains for the month. We're up now 5.3 percent for the month of November on this final closing day of the month. The Nasdaq is the big winner, though, today. It's up 4.3% on the month now, higher by 4.3%. We were pretty much flat on the Nasdaq for the month of November heading into today. There's the close at the highs of the day after the Fed chair signals smaller rate hikes ahead. That's it for Closing Bell. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.